Hi, I'm Anthony Taylor, and welcome to season two of the Mental Fitness Podcast, the podcast where you're going to hear from a fantastic range of people about their personal stories and ideas on how to live a great life and look after your mental fitness while doing it. You're going to learn about resilience, emotional intelligence, how to identify our strengths, and what we can do to support our good mental health. Here's a snapshot of what we've got in store for you this week. I'm a big believer in just make a decision. If you don't know what you're doing, just make the decision. And then it'll seem kind of apparent if it was the right or the wrong one, but make make a decision. I can make decisions that may appeal cold-hearted cold hearted to people, but it's probably because I made the decision about my leg when I was 22. And so I can make very quick, very big decisions without too much emotion. It doesn't mean they're not emotional, it's just, I've already done it. I've got done it, assessed it, and, and, and that whole emotional piece I've, I've done literally within two heartbeats. So I'm really excited to be bringing you series two, and I hope you join us throughout the entirety of this. And as ever, if you like the podcast, please give us a like uh, or subscribe to the show as well. It takes just a minute, but it's going to help the podcast reach more people. Okay, let's crack on with the show. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to John T. Warnerkin, who I've had the privilege and the pleasure of knowing since we were 13 years of age. Anyone who knows John T. will describe him as a larger-than-life character, um, physically as well as, as character-wise. But John T.'s got a, a fantastic story that I've been really keen to bring to the podcast for a while. Um, so I'm really excited to be having him on board today. John T., welcome. Thank you, Anthony. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too as well. And you are talking to us from this rather salubrious surroundings of Leicester Service Station. That's right. Living life in the fast lane, literally. Um, yeah, I'm on my way to Dover to swim uh, the channel as part of a relay. Uh, we, we leave tomorrow at 5.36 in the morning. So just on the way down to Dover now. Well, we're certainly going to come on and pick up that story uh, a little bit further down the line in our conversation. So tell me a little bit about yourself in terms of how old you are and, and what you're doing, what you do for a living. And then also, I'd love to hear what's your thoughts on what mental fitness means to you? Okay, so uh, who I am? So I'm John T. Warnikin, 49 years old, 15 next year. I am the uh, head of the, the North and Senior Investment Director for Brooks McDonald, a UK listed wealth management business. We manage money for a living, whether it's corporate, charity, private clients, uh, company money, that sort of stuff. And I'm really quite lucky to lead uh, two quite exceptional teams in the north of England. So that's what I do. To me, mental fitness is, is, is the ability to, to achieve. I don't take that lightly. And, and achieve can mean everything to anybody. We all go through good times. We all go through bad times. Mental fitness is the ability to, to, to approach and address the bad things that go on in life. Because let's face it, good things in life, it's easy. You just breathe through it. But the bad things, it's mental fitness is the capability to address those, assess them, deal with them, and move either around them, over them, or through them. And that kind of brings us to why I wanted to have a chat with you today, because, you know, you told us a little bit about what you do now for a living, but that's not what you wanted to do growing up, isn't it? And then your your life changed direction irrevocably on, on October 29th in 1994. But before we get to that bit, tell us about what you hoped your life was going to look like, what you were going to be doing. I only wanted to do two things. I wanted to play rugby for England, and I wanted to be in the military, preferably five military aircraft. 
And that was it. That was all I ever tried to do. Um, even to the case of going, you know, I go for a run on Christmas Day because I was that, that keen on playing my rugby and et cetera, et cetera. And that's all I'd ever wanted to do since about the age of seven or eight. And then, as you said, in, in October 94, I crashed my, my MGB into a tree and spent six months in hospital and came out with multiple injuries being stitched back together and, and having lost my, my left leg and nearly lost my right leg and had my head rebuilt, got titanium in my forehead, I've got a piece of my ear in my nose, and have two nose rebuilds now, three ankle rebuilds, took my knee down to the bone. And so I sat there at the age of 22 with everything that I've ever hoped or dreamed of, worked quite hard for, you know, I remember our nights in the gym together, which I always look back fondly at, you know, doing the extra training that we did and everything had inverted commas gone. And, you know, that was a big, that was a big line in the sand for me. You know, that was it. a whole new life that I hadn't anticipated. I now needed to sort of catch up on. And I remember coming to visit you with my brother and obviously a bunch of the guys in hospital several times. How did you deal with, you know, coming back from the, from the, well, the physical pain of the injuries? Because as you alluded to, they were significant. The worst thing actually on the whole crash was my, my legs. I tested them so badly that the cramping was just phenomenal. So much so that I think if you'd offered to shoot me, I might have accepted it. It was, I was that, it was the most pain I've ever felt in my life now and since. You know, it is just unbelievable pain. But that teaches you certain things. I mean, to me, I, I look at life in, in, in quite, in some respects, black and white. So the surgeon, after I elected to have my, my, my left leg off, and then to make that decision, the surgeon had a load of tests, and the surgeon basically said to me, John, so you've got five operations over three years. You're going to break your leg at the top. We're going to cut out all the dead, put an external fixator and swing in some nerves, swing in some muscle, swing in some veins, and I'll give a 30% chance of feeling your foot, or you can cut it off. And I said, cut it off. And, and I said it that quickly, because to me, it wasn't an emotional decision. It was an educational decision. It was a decision of intelligence rather than of emotion. Because if I'd done an emotional decision, I'd have said, try and keep it. But the intelligence says those odds aren't good. And therefore, you have to make the right decision, tough decisions. And it was the best decision I made. And when we went in, you know, he said, do you still want to cut it off? I went, yeah. And he said, anything I can do? And we'd already had this discussion about, is there anything you can do for you? And I said, yeah, save me two bits of the little toe because I wanted to make a pair of cufflinks. And as you are, your brother's an orthopedic consultant. They're quite, they're quite sick guys and they get that sort of humour. And he went, all right, I'll do that for you. But my leg was so manky and so rotten, they had to condemn it. So he couldn't do that. And if I'd have wanted a rebuild, he would have cut it off anyway. So at least I knew when I woke up what the result was going to be. The worst thing would have been going in for what would I be thinking would be my first, you know, start start down the end of the road. You know, this is not the end of the beginning, it's the beginning of the end type thing. And and I'm waking up to find that my leg had been locked off. So that was that was good. Right decision, move on, reassess and move on. And that's that's what I'm doing. How did you find accepting that? Because a lot of people, when they go through difficult times, injuries, certainly injuries, I think, really struggle with accepting that situation that scenario how did you find your ability to do that i'm going to answer it sort of slightly around the back and the first answer sounds really arrogant but i just accepted it i made the decision it was the right decision therefore accept it doesn't mean i like it no not in the slightest but you accept it starting the process of healing getting back on the line is accepting your accepting the reality of the situation you find yourself in. I mean, they say that about alcoholics. The first thing they have to do in order to start that process of healing is accept that they are an alcoholic. 
I just knew that. You know, I didn't know that because of, you know, because of, uh, of our college. I just knew, okay, I get this. I've accepted it. I've made the decision. It's the right decision. And that gives you a level of comfort because you know you've made the right decision. I think knowing you've made the right decision and not looking back and saying, what if? I never look back and say, what if I hadn't done this? I look back, you know, I look forward and say, what if? Which is probably why I find myself at Leicester Forest Services on, on a very hot day going to swim the channel. But I never look back to what if I didn't drive that car? What if I didn't, if I went a different way home? What if, what if? I never do that. It's, that just pollutes, it rots your soul to death, in my opinion. So never say what if, looking back, say what if, looking forward. And how much would you say, you know, how is your life different? How do you think you've, you've grown as a result of overcoming this adversity? And we'll come on some of the things that you've, you've done. Um, I, I don't know. It's like it's the old sliding doors film sort of question, isn't it? I really, I really don't know. I mean, I'd love to have run out for England. I still have a debate in my own mind. Would I, would I, would I lose my right leg for that one chance to run out for England at Twickenham with a, with a rose on my chest? And I still don't have an answer to that, if I'm being honest with you. But I would hopefully I'd made play professional rugby. I probably wouldn't have met my wife. I certainly wouldn't have met a load of my friends that I've met after, that, that I've met, you know, since. Um, my wife thinks I'd probably be a bit more of a tosser if I'd gone to be a good rugby player and all that. I don't disagree with her, to be honest. No, I don't um, disagree with her either. <laughs> I didn't expect you to. Um, I don't think I would be as decisive as I am, and, and as comfortable making the decisions I make that I make now. I'm a big believer in just make a decision. If you don't know what you're doing, just make the decision. And then it'll seem kind of apparent if it was the right or the wrong one, but make, make a decision. I can make decisions that may appeal cold-hearted cold hearted to people, but it's probably because I made the decision about my leg when I was 22. And so I can make very quick, very big decisions without too much emotion. It doesn't mean they're not emotional, it's just... I've already done it. I've got done it, assessed it, and, and, and that whole emotional piece I've, I've done literally within two heartbeats. So I can be quite, could look to the outside of being quite brutal in the way I make decisions. I therefore, how before do you look back on decisions? Because sometimes, you know, we make decisions and then actually, you know, in future it turns out that it's not that it was the wrong decision, but in hindsight, we might have made a different one. And I think a lot of people spend time beating themselves up about that. I guess that's not something you suffer with. I look back all the time. I look about things I say. I'll, I'll be thinking about what I said to you in this in, in this chat on the way when I'm driving down. I think I probably could have phrased that better. I probably shouldn't have said that because it sounded like a bell end or whatever. And I do that all the time. I had a meeting with the head of HR today and I said something that, you know, not that I shouldn't have said, but I, I think I could have said it better or not bothered bringing it up. So I, I reassess all of that. In regards to decisions, it, you know, there's one argument is what's the point in reassessing decisions if you've already made the decision and you've acted, it's been acted upon because you are you are where you are, so you, you've done it. But I don't, there's no real big decisions that I've made that I ever look back on and regret because life isn't perfect and everyone's, everyone's road in life isn't perfect. You know, everyone has a story, everyone has suffering, everyone has issues, worries, concerns, Etc. Etc. So no one's road is a perfect road to travel down, and we're all let's face it, we're all winging it at life because we're all into phases of life we've never done. So I think there's just a realization that if you're quite comfortable in, in your own skin and who you are and, and what you do, and that you're doing it for for the right reason, and, and you have that core of I, I, I'm doing this because I believe it's it's the right thing, or I'm doing it with the right um, what's the word? Not momentum, with the right. Uh, 
Sometimes having head injury, sometimes I can't think of the right word. Intention? Yeah, the right, you know, I'm, I'm, motivation. My motivation's right. I may get the process wrong or the practice, but, but my motivation's good and my heart is pure, to put it into sort of more Catholic terms that you'd understand. Uh, then I think you can, that's okay. So I get loads of stuff wrong. But what I'm doing is uh, the, the journey, that road piece is, is meandering in the right way. But I may bounce off some bad boundaries. I may make some exceptionally good decisions and that bounces off the top top part of the boundary but i just i think it's just an expectation of life that everyone lives this perfect life and everyone beats themselves up when they don't we're not and we're all winging it everyone wins it you know it's great yeah absolutely it's great we're all just trying to figure out how to do this thing and anyone who says they've got it all figured out is lying quite frankly i think and i think and i think the more people try and tighten their road the barriers on the road because they're looking for that laser straight perfect life the more mental stress and angst they cause themselves because it's, it's not there, you know, it, it just isn't. So, you know, even with a laser, you need plenty of smoke to see where it's pointing. So don't beat yourself up. Um, and don't be afraid to ask. Ask your mates, ask your family, ask, ask whoever you trust. Speak to people, that's what I did. Yeah, in your presentation, you talk about people that support you. You've got, obviously, your wife, you've got your family, you've got friends, you've got other people as well. I've also really enjoyed listening to you share a bit about your rules of life and not only how you've come to have them, but how you're constantly evaluating and tweaking them. Just tell me a bit more, tell our listeners a bit more about those. So I have, I have a number of rules of life. One of them is participate rather than spectate in general. So what does that mean? It means when everyone else was watching the football on Sunday, I was out going for a run because I know I've got a half Ironman to trade that I'm doing on Sunday or not doing on Sunday. I think I am doing it. Um, I would rather go for a swim than watch the rugby on TV because swimming's better for me. I'd rather be with people actively doing some form of sport that's good for me than sitting watching the telly. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't sit down and watch the rugby or the Tour de France or, or the football or stuff like that. It's just that I don't make it a massive priority. I do it. It's the last thing I will do, you know, when I'm, when I'm a bit jaded and I think, oh, I need a rest. Then I'll sit down and watch the football or the rugby. Um, so I participate, you know, rather than spectate. Uh, I say yes a lot. You know, do you want to do this? Yeah, all right. And it could be anything crazy. You know, a friend of mine, the reason I'm going to the Arctic uh, to do an ultra is because a friend of mine said, I think you should try this, John. And I'm like, yeah, all right, then why not? You know, what's, what, 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 could, what could go wrong? Um, but my latest one, you'll be pleased to know, is, is, is to surround yourself with ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And I think that really is my, my one key to life is that the more you surround yourself with very ordinary people or ordinary people who just do extraordinary things, the extraordinary becomes ordinary and then you can achieve yourself. Because, you know, the people I meet, you do the most fantastic, some of the most unbelievable stuff, you know, physically or, or mentally, but physically in, in swimming in the ice and the stuff that we do or trekking in, in the Arctic in minus 30, minus 40. And you talk to them and they just, they, they're just normal people. People who swim the channel, people have done 30 channel crossings, 40 channel crossings, double channels, triple channels. You speak with people like that, they don't consider themselves anything extraordinary. They're just ordinary people who, who do extraordinary things. And I think you see that in business. You think, how is that person so successful? And you meet them and you think they're just, just like you and me. And I think the more we get the kids to understand that, those that they see and achieve and admire are, are just ordinary people and they just do extraordinary things and the reason they go about and they can do these extraordinary things is, is for a variety of reasons but first of all start surrounding you with people who do extraordinary things because they will see in you what they what somebody else saw in them and they will drag you up 
into that spectrum. And I just think that's my sort of one current big rule of life that I'm operating on. So surround yourself with only people who do extraordinary things, participate more and say yes. Any other rules of life that you'd care to share? Oh, God, have you got them in front of you? <laughs> you have, uh, I you? think I have, actually. I'm oh, just trying to man. have a quick... I'm trying to think what else I do. There's, there's about 10 or 11 of them that I, that I usually live by. Say yes rather than no is, is obviously one of them. I know that being in nature is the best balm for your mind, body and soul. Yeah, and I think that's more and more... I think what, one thing in COVID that COVID has shown us is that getting out and being in nature and, and in nature with people that you love um, is absolutely critical to, to, to one's well-being. I mean, the Japanese have this thing where they go out and hug trees, which I think is fantastic. Um, you know, I swim in, in open water uh, all through winter and, and, and summer, and I, I think the water just, you know, is just fantastic. But people just seem to love nature. Mountains, you know, I, I read somewhere that mountains are really good with people who have PTSD. There, there's something comforting about being in the mountains, maybe a bit of solitary and i personally love mountains i love being in colorado up in the mountains winter or summer and i just think there's something really soothing for the soul and about being in nature i just it's just good for you so that's one of them um what was the other one sorry you got a couple of number six is asked myself is that an excuse or a valid reason that's a good one i was talking to my team about that the other day is that is it an excuse or a reason and and i asked myself a lot about that so I do a lot of suffering because of my my injuries when I when I do certainly running inverted commas and, and cycling and a bit of downhill skiing and do I go in and stop or and I, 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 I try and work out isn't it an excuse as in can I can I suffer a bit more can I do a bit more or is it a, is it now got to a point where no this is now a reason to, to do it and it's the same with you know I hate studying for exams when I and I had to do loads for my professional career and it's like using an ex- any excuse not to study when actually it was, I was just trying to find an excuse because there was no reason not to. And I was just making that excuse. And it's understanding that when, when scary doors are presented in front of you and I, you know, going back to what happened to me at 22, I, I, I tell people, I look at it like scare floor of uh, Monsters Inc. Even though my wife thinks I look like, what do you call it from Monsters Inc. You know, the doors at 22, all, all my doors disappeared and, and a whole new set of doors were, were replaced. And, it's having that courage and conviction to, 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 to embrace that and walk through those doors and do things that you never thought you'd even contemplate doing. And yet, when you do, you find yourself in a better space than you ever could ever imagine, even with two legs, which then leads me on to questions people have asked me about, well, would you, given what you've done and what you're doing and how you live your life, would you, if you could live your life again and not lose your leg, would you, would you not lose your leg? And I don't have the answer to that question either. Yeah, I have I have such a great life. I have such good fun. Um, so yeah, so you know, it's excuses, understanding what are excuses and understanding what are reasons. And I think modern day life has got more to do with excuses than reasons. And we excuse a lot more than we should. Uh, but maybe I'm just tough. I also like the fact you talk about how you constantly evaluate those. You know, you, there are a million books on the 10 rules of this and the five rules of that. But I like the fact you're constantly evaluating those. What, what are you thinking behind that? As long as changes, you know, I, I was just thinking, we were talking the other day um, at work about what would we have done 10 years ago in COVID? And the answer is probably nearly have had to have shut down. Whereas today, 18 months ago, I walked out of my office with my laptop, unplugged it at work, plugged it at home, and we all carried on and we've been working eight, nine, 10 hour days ever since, nonstop. I don't have a desk phone anymore because I don't need a desk phone, you know, because it's all done through my laptop. So 
life changes, technology changes, medical science changes, conventions change, what's acceptable society changes, and you can't you can't stick with the same rules, or they should change that. You can stick with the same rules as long as they're, they're relevant to, to the society to which you're in, in which you're operating. And if you go abroad and work in a different country or, or go and play in a different country, things are different. And so you, you should always reassess. You should always reassess to see if the things are still relevant and relevant not just for now, but for the near future. I mean, we can't predict the future future, but that's so that's why I, 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 I see, you know, I constantly reevaluate what I'm what I'm talking about. Or what I think about myself and how I, how I cut around um, about the place. And you're you're off down to Dover to go and swim the channel as part of this relay. You've got into ice swimming in a big way in the last few years. Tell me about that journey and what attracted you. And so at school, as you know, we always used to swim in the rivers. I've always loved swimming. When my brother got quite bad depression, he decided he wanted to swim a two miler at uh, Windermere. About 10 years ago now. And my wife said, you should do that with him. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I spoke to him. I said, yeah, I'll come and do it with you. Keep you company. And then we went to the pub and got drunk. And we decided that we should do a warm-up swim. So we did a we agreed to do a one-mile warm-up in London, in the Docklands. And then we got even more drunk. We decided we'd do the 10K one that goes from Totnes to Dishishan. It's called the Dark 10K. And then we could go out in Dartmouth, where he was a naval officer, and go and visit his old haunts and get drunk and have a good time. And so we started training for that, and I just basically carried on and didn't stop. And then when I moved to Yorkshire, back to Yorkshire, back in those days, the lakes shut down south in, at the wintertime once it got below 40 degrees. But in Yorkshire, they didn't. So I carried on swimming. And then my coach up here said, look, I think you can do, you can swim without a wetsuit. And not only that, there's this sort of new thing called ice swimming. And I think you could do an ice mile. And then we realized no one disabled in the world had done an ice mile. And I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to go and do the first disabled ice mile. So I did and tell us about an ice swim. To be an ice swim, it's got to be what's the qualification for an ice swim? So, an ice mile is a one mile swim below five degrees Celsius without a wetsuit. Um, and you need to do that. If you want to be a full member of the International Ice Swim Association, that's the qualifying swim to which you need to do. And it's an individual achievement. We don't race it, it's, 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 it's something that we just, we just do. It's just that's the qualifications to be a full member. We then race. We have sort of two parts to ice swimming. We have the racing side where we're trying to get the sport to the Olympics. Uh, we've got our fourth world championships coming up and hopefully, fingers crossed, in Katowice in Poland at the start of February. And our, our big race distance is a 1K race, again, without wetsuits. And the water, when we were in Russia, the water was below zero. So, you know, it, this is tough swimming. And we race 1K, uh, 1K, we keep changing some of the distances, but 1K, 500 meters, 250, two, 4 by 250 relay, and then some of the shorter distances. But the uh, the ice bit is is the distance side. Winter swimming is more more akin to shorter distances, and, and that comes from a culture centuries old across the whole of Northern Europe and into Northern Asia, where they've swum in the ice for you know since since Noah was a lad. Basically, what we're doing is 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 is, is trying to take this into a, into a sport that will end up in the Winter Olympics. And then we also have the sort of the adventure swim side. So you'll have seen people, friends of mine swimming in, in Antarctica, doing ice miles, ice caves down there, people swimming in the north, uh, up, up in the Himalayas, Everest. And, and what we do, I sit on the board now, and what, what we do is try and, one, create the sport, create the rules to make it fair, uh, but secondly, to try and create boundaries and we have to constantly reassess those boundaries as people want to push them. You know, we've got people pushing boundaries now that we never thought we would ever see. And, and, and what the body can do in a trained body with a trained mind in those sorts of cold water is, is quite humbling. 
and I sometimes pinch myself that I'm sort of accepted as part of this this group because what some of the guys in the deals can do is just quite breathtaking. That's the ice swimming, and then Dover is all about Channel Swim, so I'm doing this for charity. And, and you know, English Channel is 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 the classic long distance swim. Less people swim the Channel than climb Everest. After this, I'll, I'll, I'll assess whether what I do with regards to, to a solo attempt or not. I've got a few other things that I've, I've got on uh, in the next year or so that I have to train for. Just give us a quick quick list of some of those things you've got coming up. Hopefully get back on Wednesday from the Dover from doing the Channel Relay. I've go, got a half Ironman on Sunday, then going to full Ironman training. Hopefully get to Austria for an Ironman in Austria in September, middle of September. Then I'll have some time off. I've got to spend some time with my wife because I think she deserves it. I'd quite like to see her. Uh, and then I've got the Ice Swimming World Champs uh, in February. And then I go to Sweden at the end of February for survival course, straight into a 115-mile ultra race on a pair of skis, which is what I do in four, three and a half, four days. Then next summer, there's a couple of things in the offing uh, that I can't talk about yet. And then there's some other big, big, big ideas that I've got that I probably need to get sponsorship for that I've got ideas for. But if the ultra in, in Sweden goes well, I want to do the longer distances in, in the Yukon. Um, yeah, and then there's a couple of bike rides that I, I quite fancy doing. So yeah, so it's got quite a lot on, but it's just trying to fit it all in. And until we get a certainty around COVID and travel, it's, it's quite difficult to, to say, right, I'm now going to, you know, to swim this or do that. And, you know, channel swimming has been pushed back. I think, you know, if you want to swim the English Channel now as a solo, you're looking at 2023, 2024 at the earliest because, you know, couldn't do it last year, so everyone's been pushed pushed through. So it's fitting it all in. You know, it, 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 it isn't as... You can't just say, oh, I'm going to go and do this anymore because, you know, it's just... There isn't, there isn't the, the availability because of COVID. So it's, it's trying to fit it all in. So why should people try... I know you're a big fan of it, but why should people try ice swimming? because I've never found a sport that gives you the biggest bang for your smiley bucks than going into the ice, even if it's for 10, 20 seconds. It's as simple as that. You get into ice water for 20 seconds, come out, the rest of your day you're smiling. End of story, buttons reset. That simple. Whether you want to come and race and, and all of that, that's, that's a whole different world of, world of thing. But the actual smiley benefit, you know, that, that endorphins kick, you can get literally from 20 to 30 seconds of submerging yourselves into super cold water, sub five. You do it probably sub 10 degrees, to be honest. But if you want to kick a real start to your day, and, and, and my issue is that, you know, once winter comes in, we spend so much time indoors in winter. The nights are very, you know, the nights are long, the days are short. The opportunity to, to go out into nature, it's just, you know, if it's siling it down outside and freezing cold, what do you want to do? Do you want to go out for a walk in that, or do you want to go and sit in a nice warm pub with a fire on, drink some beer, have a full English dinner, you know, roast lunch, etc.? And I know what I would prefer to do, but you then say, do you know what? I'm just going to go for a quick ice swim or a quick swim, a dip in the lake, and spend just two minutes in there, or 20 seconds, or a minute, or some of the longer times that we do. Not only will your body feel fantastic, the people you meet and the camaraderie you get from being around that sort of community. Any, any society sort of issues, politics, all of that is just, just doesn't exist. What matters is you get in and you know you're with people, irrespective of any, any differences you may have, they'll get you out and you rely on each other. And, you know, and that's what society is about. It's looking after each other. And I think the ice really does focus that to, to an absolute attention. So that's why you should come to the ice safely.
you're convincing me. I mean, you know, I've done a little, well, not upper ice swimming, but you know, I like cold water swimming. So, but yeah, you've convinced me to come up to Yorkshire and give it a go sometime. So, well, yeah. I've got a, I've got a venue closer to you that uh, I know. So uh, I drag you in there <laughs> with some friends. And the cake, we all eat, we all eat cake afterwards, and it's the greatest excuse to eat cake, you know, that I know. So just go for a swim and then go and eat cake. It's fat. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to sort of bring it to a close now. I think it's been absolutely fascinating. Really enjoyed talking to you. What's the simplest bit of advice that you would give to anyone facing some kind of either physical or mental adversity at the minute? Two things. The quicker you can accept it, the quicker you'll move on. And then, as I said earlier, go and surround yourselves with ordinary people who do extraordinary things in whatever field you want to go and operate, play, work. Just do those two things. And you'll soon realise you can do so much and you've got it in you. So that's what I would do. Just accept it. No point in not accepting it. It ain't changed. Nothing's going to change it. You know, my leg, my leg ain't going to grow back. My ankle ain't going to get any better. So just accept it. And then find, find, go, go and find these ordinary people who do extraordinary things. People who say, yeah, you can do this rather than say, no, you can't. Yeah. Go and find those. Simple. Jodzi, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Great to see you, even if it's with a salubrious backdrop of Leicester Services. Starbucks, Leicester Services East. <laughs> are, you, are you touting for sponsorship, by the way? <laughs> I will be. I, I am. I've got a webpage, yeah. But I've actually set up a, biz, a, 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 corp, a, a company in order to try and get more money in so we can give it to disabled people to do certain things. So I'm swimming the channel for a charity called Open Country, and they, they help get people, the disabled, out into the countryside. And they've got a place in Harrogate, uh, they've got a, a hub down in Wakefield and they provide a lot of detailed information for anyone disabled coming into the region of places that they can go that are disability accessible, friendly, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I swim with a group. Um, there's, a, there's a group on Facebook for the Adaptive and Disabled Open Water Swimmers and they're trying to collate all the information about spaces and, and, and water, open water, which is, just, you know, disabled, wheelchair, whatever, whatever friendly. So, yeah, I'm quite passionate that we get we all access it, but it has to be accessible for all, you know, so that, I'm swimming for open country. And all the other things I'm doing is for open country as well. So, yeah. Well, I'll make sure that uh, the link to that and your page goes in the show notes for the show when that comes out. But yeah, that's brilliant. Great to hear that. Thank you very much. Well, just to wish you all the very best, uh, very best for the swim and uh, look forward to catching up afterwards. Hearing how you've gone on. Will do. Catch up with you later. Well, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with John T. It was great to finally catch up with him after such a long time. And uh, he was really successful with his swim across the channel, which is brilliant news. And, you know, he's raising lots of money for other disabled people to be able to go and do things. So if you want to look him up and feel free to donate some money to that, it's a very worthwhile cause. I wanted to share five things. And I don't normally do five, but there were five things that John T. said that I think really bear thinking about. And number one was that life doesn't always work out like we'd hope. Um, but what matters is actually how we respond. And that journey begins with accepting it. Because like he talked about with his leg and with his ankle, his leg's never going to grow back. His ankle isn't going to get any better. So the quicker he accepts those things, the quicker he can move on. Number two was to never look back and say, what if? You know, it just rots, as he talked about, talks about rots the soul. Always look forward and say, what if? But never look back and say, what if? The third thing was just to make a decision. And how many of us give up or don't make a decision? We, we prevaricate, we procrastinate on it, we, we mull up so many options. And actually, the longer that we do that, the worse it gets. 
I don't believe that there are any bad decisions. We make a decision with the information we've got at the time. And the quicker we can do that, the quicker we can start to move on. And if you need to make a different decision further down the line, then that's fine. So be it. But don't spend time waiting to, to make the perfect decision because the perfect decision very rarely exists. Number four was we're all winging it and we're all winging it at life. So don't be afraid to ask for help and don't beat yourself up if things go wrong. We don't always get things right and that's okay. So realize that everyone else is winging it too. And then lastly, surround yourself with ordinary people who do extraordinary things. I think that's so brilliant. Such a great piece of advice to end on. So I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you have, if you think that you've really got something from this and there are other people that would really like to hear the kind of thing that Jonty's talked about or some of our other guests have talked about, please share this podcast with as many people as you can. That way it helps to uh, to spread the word, spread the great advice that our guests are sharing. Please give us a five-star review if you can. It all goes towards helping people find the podcast in what, as you know, is a very crowded marketplace. So thank you very much again for listening and I'll look forward to the next episode. See you then.